Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Well, good morning, everybody. So I am super honored to be able to speak here today. Um, I said this in first service, but Pastor Josh does not give up his pulpit easily, and so I'm super honored that he's allowing me to speak today. Um, And before we get started, I would like to pray. So, Jesus, I just thank you for who you are. Father, I pray that today we will get a deeper revelation of your true character, Father. Lord, I pray for open hearts and good soil, like Nate said, for the word to be um, planted in. So, Father, we just want to give you all the glory and the honor today because you are are the one found worthy, Jesus. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, today I want to talk about um, how our worship is a weapon. And I think a lot of times... um, we think, when we think of a weapon in spiritual battle, we think of the word of God, right? And it is a weapon in battle. But I think sometimes we forget that our worship is so powerful, it can also be used as a weapon, right? And um, so when I first got saved, which was when I was about to be 17, I got saved because one of my friends prophesied to me at school. I went to public school, and that's how I got saved. So it was pretty awesome. And um, so I, he comes up to me about a week later, and he gives me a CD he had burned, and he's like, hey, Brooke, I think you'll really like this CD. And so I had like a 30-minute drive to school and home every day. And so as I was driving to and from school, I would listen to this album, and it was the old Jesus culture. And if you know old Jesus culture, like I was getting wrecked every single day. Like I would go to school, I would get ready for school, which I don't know why like I wasted my time. Like I knew by the time I got to school, I was going to look a mess. And so um, I was just, when I first encountered worship, it was deep and intimate and it was like that secret place kind of worship. And that's what I was used to. And then a year and a half ago, Pastor Josh preached a message and it was about like our battles. And he preached on King Jehoshaphat. And when I heard this story, I was like, A, I've read through the whole Bible, have I not read this? And B, which I had, I just didn't know, you know. And then B, um, I didn't know that my worship could be so powerful. I thought my worship was just like intimate, ooey gooey, and it is. But there's this other side of worship that I hadn't experienced yet. And so today I kind of want to talk about that. So if you've never heard the story of King Jehoshaphat, you are going to get the download today because I'm going to talk you through it. So um, it starts off 2 Chronicles 20. And in 2 Chronicles 20, it talks about how um, these people groups are coming against the people of Judah. And King Jehoshaphat's the king at the time. And so um, it, it keeps mentioning it as this great horde. So like, that sounds pretty terrifying to me, you know? And so um, in this story, it talks about how King Jehoshaphat is terrified. And so he, what does any holy king do? He calls a fast. He says, all right, my people, we are going to fast and we are going to pray because we need Jesus in this situation or God, you know, Jesus hadn't come yet. Okay, anyways, so, um, so they begin to fast and pray. And this guy named Jehaziel gets a word from the Lord. Okay, and so here's the word from the Lord. It's 2 Chronicles 20, 15 through 17, and it says, Thus says the Lord to you, 
Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed for this, at this great horde. For the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up against the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley of the east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. So... That in of itself is like, that's awesome. But so today I'm going to break down the scripture into two things. Because this is a long chapter, let me tell you. So the first part I'm breaking down is before the battle and then during the battle. So today, so just now I just read about before the battle. And um, I'm going to try to be super honest today. If you know me, I'm a super real and honest person. And so, um, but Again, I told first service, like, no, I love Jesus in my honesty. I'm just a human. Um, And so when I read the Old Testament sometimes, and you don't have to raise your hand if you agree with me, but sometimes I think, like, Lord, that was a great story, but how on earth does that apply to me, right? You don't have to amen me. I know you probably don't want to look bad in front of your friends. But um, that's how I feel sometimes. And so when I read um, the Old Testament, I love to kind of see, like, an overlaying theme. And so when I read this part of Scripture, there are four things that I see um, that can apply to us. You see, when we fight in battles, we may, we may not be in a physical battle. Again, I, I a lot of times think of like a battle like you're running at each other and in the movies, you know. But our flesh, I mean, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers of this dark world. And so, yes, we may not be in a physical battle, but we are in a spiritual battle. And so here are four things when I read this scripture that I see God doing before the battle. The first is that he speaks to their fears. That is the very first thing that he does, is he tells them, do not be dismayed, and do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. You see, a lot of times I think that in my fear and in my flesh, God could get tired of telling me, like, child, what are you doing? Like, I am the God of the universe. Why are you scared? I've got you then. Of course I'm going to get you now. Like, why are you afraid? But God doesn't do that. What does God do? He, He meets them where they're at, and he says, hey, You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be scared. I know, I know that this looks really scary and I know that the odds are against you, but you don't have to be afraid, right? And I also love that he doesn't just tell them that they don't have to be afraid once. He tells them twice. He tells them at the very beginning and then he tells them at the very end. He leaves them and he, he meets them and then leaves them by telling them that they don't have to be afraid, right? Now, the second thing is that God is specific about ways that the enemy will attack. I love that in 2 Chronicles 20, he tells them exactly where they're going to find the enemy. They didn't have to wonder. They weren't like, oh, are they going to sneak up on me when I'm sleeping tonight? No, like they knew exactly where to find the enemy. And how many times does Holy Spirit do that in our life, right? He tells us like, hey, maybe you shouldn't go to that website, or, hey, maybe you shouldn't go to that place again. You know, Holy Spirit is always showing us where the enemy is going to be. Sometimes we're just, we don't listen because we're stubborn, but it's okay. I'm preaching to myself today, Um, and so I love that God tells them exactly where they can find the enemy, right? The third thing that I see is that God reminds them that they don't have to fight in this battle. He doesn't tell them once, He doesn't tell them just twice. He tells them 
three times, right, that they don't have to fight in this battle. He keeps reminding them, hey, I know you're so scared, but you don't have to be because I got you, right? And I love that he understands our humanity. Like he knows that we are fearful to fully trust him sometimes. But he doesn't get mad at us. What does he do? He just encourages us and reminds us of his promises that he's got us, right? Now, the next thing or the last thing that I love is that God calls them to obedience. That's all that he asks of them. All he requires of them is to go out on the battlefield. He doesn't say, hey, King Jehoshaphat, like this is in the Old Testament, right? So in the Old Testament, you had to like give sacrifices. And he wasn't like, hey, king, you got a real unholy people, and you're going to have to, like, scrounge up some cattle and some sheep and definitely birds. And um, (laughs) I'm terrified of birds. That's why I said that. Um, And grain offerings, you know. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, like, hey, you guys are super unclean. You need to get your act together before I'm going to save you. Does he? Same with us. We don't have to do anything because he is victory himself. Just him being God is victory. He is victory. There's nothing that we have to do. There's nothing that we have to do that will make him be more victorious than he already is. And so I love that part. Now, after they get this, okay, so remember, like, they're freaking out because they're about to die. And the Lord just promised them, hey, guys, I got you. And immediately after, in Second Chronicles 20, it says that, Um, they began to worship, but it didn't just say, just leave it at that. It was that they began to worship very loudly, with very loud voices. You see, I had always known worship to be like, if God had done something good for you, you cry. And you're like, yes, you're so good, Jesus. But that's not exactly what it is. When you look up the word worship in verse 18, it means halal. And halal is kind of like an undignified worship. It's a little crazy. Um, When you actually look up the definition, it says to boast, to celebrate, and to act foolish. You see, they were like, God, you are so good. You are worthy. You are holy. You are faithful. But they didn't just stop at that. They were acting foolish. They didn't care what they looked like. And I know for me that's hard because sometimes I'm like, but I don't want people to think I'm a little crazy. Um, But you're not crazy. You just got saved, right? You have to think of his position. He just got saved. He knew that if God did not intervene, tomorrow him and all his people would be annihilated. And God just promised that he was going to save them. That is our story, if you are wondering. That is us in our walk with Jesus, right? We were supposed to be dead, but now we're alive, right? And when you think about that, you're like, whoa, oh my gosh, when you worship, you should be getting a little bit undignified because it, the promise and, and what he fulfilled in that cross is worthy of every ounce of our worship, right? And so after that, we're going to talk about during the battle. In 2 Chronicles 20, 21 through 23, it says, and it's a, little bit of, it's a little bit of scripture, so just bear with me. And 
When he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So they were routed, for the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped destroy one another and none had escaped. Awesome, right? This is the kind of story we probably should make a movie about because that'd be a pretty awesome movie. Um, but again, when I, when I break this down and I look at the overlining themes, there's two things. The first is that God moves in for them in battle, right? They didn't have to fight. I love that it never once says that they picked up a weapon and never once said that they had to shoot a single arrow or swing a single sword. All they did was worship. And I love that it says, when they began to sing, then the Lord set an ambush. It wasn't that they were worshiping because the Lord was already fighting their battle. They were worshiping because they knew that they were victorious, and they were worshiping before the battle. Worship precedes victory. Every time, always, forever. Worship precedes victory, right? Then the second thing that I see is that the, the enemy is completely defeated. It says none had escaped. There wasn't even a remnant of the enemy. And you see, if we allow God to come into our spiritual battles, whatever it may be, maybe your spiritual battle is depression, or maybe right now you're fighting a ton of bitterness, or maybe you are dealing with lust, whatever it is, Whatever your battle is, God wants to come and completely annihilate that enemy in your life, right? And so I think many times we're like King Jehoshaphat. We're in a battle that seems completely impossible. You look at your circumstances and you're like, God, there is no way. There is no way that I'm going to be able to pay off that debt, right? Or there's no way that I'm going to be able to do this thing that you promised me. But you see... It is many times like that that we need to worship, right? We need to worship. We need to invite him to our battlefield. Now, real quick, I'm going to talk about four things that can weaken our weapon of worship. And I'm not just going to tell you, like, hey, don't do this because your weapon's going to be weak. I'm going to tell you how to not make it weak, okay? So uh, bear with me. Here we go. So the first thing is that, so the first thing that can weaken your weapon of worship is that you are surrounding yourself with the wrong thing or surrendering. That's right. Um, I have an astigmatism, so trying to read things from afar, sometimes my words get jumbled. And I wrote these like I should know, right? Um, but you are surrendered to the wrong thing. And so we're going to talk real quick about Psalm 22, 3. And it says, you are holy, enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Um, some other versions say, enthroned upon the praises of your people. And you see, I um, don't know about you, but I love royalty. I love reading about royalty. I love watching documentaries about royalty and movies. I love royalty. And so for me, I love to like understand how royalty works. And if you have never looked into it, that's okay. A lot of people don't because why would you? And um, um, 
I always thought, I had like in, in my mind that um, a king and a queen were always sitting on their thrones. And that's like all they did was they sat on their thrones and they were like, oh, servant, get me some food and just a dance. And like that's, and they're obviously all British every time. And so, <laughs> um, and so when I look at that, I think that's what I always thought. Uh, that's how I always thought that kings and queens sat on their throne, right? They always were sitting on their throne. That's actually not true. They only sat on their thrones a few times. And one of the times that they would sit on their throne was after battle, after they had won a war, they would sit on their throne um, to signify that they had, it, it was already finished and that they had the victory. And you see, when in Psalm 22, 3, when, we are say, when it says that we are enthroned upon the praises of his and when he is enthroned upon the praises of his people, when we are in a spiritual battle and we begin to praise the Lord, we are inviting victory himself, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to sit on his throne and say, it is finished, it is done, I have already overcome, right? How exciting is that? Like, you don't even have to fight. You don't even have to raise your weapon. He's got you. You see, but in war, you can always surrender, if, it's, if the odds are stacked against you, you can always surrender. You have that option. But here's the deal. If, if you were to su- surrender back in, in war back in those days and you waved your white flag, you would then become enslaved to whoever you were fighting against. So you see it's the same in our spiritual battle. If you surrender to the enemy, which you, ha- you can do, you are now enslaved to whatever it is that you're fighting against. So if you're fighting against depression, you're going to be enslaved to it. And whatever you're fighting against, you are now enslaved to it. But you see, the good news is you are always one surrender away from victory. All you have to do is surrender to the Father. You see, worship is surrender. So if you're worshiping the Father, then you are surrendering to, again, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you are inviting him to sit and say, it is finished. I got you, son. I got you, daughter. It is finished, right? That is some good news, I'd say. Um, And so the second thing that can weaken your weapon of worship, that's hard to say fast if you're wondering, um, is that your eyes are on the promise and not the promise keeper, this one's hard for me because the Lord has, I feel like, promised me a lot. And I know I'm only 25. You don't have to tell me after service. I know. I'm only 25. But sometimes it's really hard for me because I'm like, God, you promised me this. Why am I not seeing it yet? You know? But the enemy wants us to be so focused on that because if we're focused on that, then we're not fo- focused on the promise keeper. And you see, a lot of times um, we begin to not want to worship God because he hasn't answered our prayers. And we don't feel like he's, almost like he's not worthy of our praise. But you see, we don't worship because we've gotten what we've wanted or what we've prayed for. We worship because God is all that we could ever want, right? He alone is worthy of our praise no matter what. And you see, I'm going to give you a little snippet of truth. Pastor, jo- um, Pastor, Pastor Emlyn spoke on promises last week, and it was amazing. And I want to kind of piggyback off that. You see, our promises are yes and amen. In the word, that's what it says. So if God has promised you something, you don't have to worry about if it's going to happen, just when it's going to happen. So stop putting your eyes on this thing that you already know is going to happen, right? You just get to wait, and in your waiting, you get to worship. How awesome is that, right? takes the pressure off of you. Um, And I love how 
King Jehoshaphat says it in 2 Chronicles 20, 12. He says, For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I know I have been there in situations where I'm like, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is looking real bad, you know, and, and I'm going to need you to fix it. But I love that King Jehoshaphat understood, and he's like, you know what? This is terrible, and I'm probably going to die tomorrow, and I'm going to probably meet you, God. But my eyes are on you until that comes, right? And so we just have to remember to keep our eyes on the Father. And, you know, that's what worship does. Worship takes our eyes off of ourself and puts it back on the king, right? So that's the second thing. Now, the third thing that can weaken your weapon of worship is that we are defining God by our circumstances. I know, I know. So, you see, a lot of times when my life is not going so well, um, the last thing, again, we're being honest and I love Jesus, okay? Um, The last thing that I want to do when my life isn't going good or going well is I don't want to worship. I don't want to. What I want to do is I want to throw myself a pity party. And I want to call up my best friend, and I want to tell her how horrible my life is, and complain, 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 and I want her to tell me to go eat some ice cream and watch some TV and call off of work tomorrow, and you probably do need to sleep your day away, and you probably should go shopping too, right? Like, I want to complain, and I want to throw myself a pity party, but the reality is we already have the victory, right? Why would I do that? I mean, I still do it sometimes. <laughs> um, but um, you see, about two years ago, I had to make the choice of throwing myself a pity party or choosing to worship God in one of the darkest, hardest times in my life. And um, it was a Sunday afternoon, and my mom called me up. And she's crying, and she's like, Brooke, one of your really close relatives just committed suicide. And I was like, What? And it was a total, like, surprise. And so Nate and I immediately got in the car, and we started driving to go be with our family. And Nate, being the awesome holy man that he is, blares worship music. And so we're in the car. We're listening to the worship music. And Nate and I aren't speaking. We're not looking at each other. And I'm sitting in the front seat. And the song goes, you are good, you are good. And it just keeps repeating itself. And then a little later it says, you're never going to let me down. And I remember hearing that and thinking, how dare you, God? Again, we're honest, right? You are the God of the universe. You could have stopped that gun. You could have stopped the trigger. How dare you? This isn't fair. This isn't who I knew you to be. Why would you do this? And if we're real, I didn't want to sing those lyrics. And... Within moments, I felt Holy Spirit remind me, if he, was worship, if he was worthy of my worship Sunday morning when I was at church, he is worthy of my worship now in one of the darkest times of my life. You see, God didn't change in those few hours. He didn't go from being good to being bad. He never changes. So if he was worthy of my worship then, He is worthy of my worship now. And guess what? You probably need to worship now more than ever. If you're in a dark place or a battlefield, you need to worship. You may not want to. Your flesh doesn't want to, but you need to because you need him to intervene and you need him to be victorious in this season, right? And so 
Some of you may be thinking, but Brooke, you don't understand. My life has never been this bad. And when I call my friend and I tell them how bad my life is, they agree. Like it's the worst they've heard, you know. I want to just remind you that if Jesus never did another thing for you in your entire life, that moment on the cross is enough for him to worship, you to worship him forever. Forever. Again, like I said, we went from life to death, from mourning to joy. My life is never the same because of what Jesus did for me. And if he never did another good thing and my life stayed horrible, he, was, he is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. Right? So good. I know. Wrecks me every time. Now, the last thing that can weaken our weapon of worship is that we are praising out of obligation rather than revelation. Um, so I went to Bible college, and if you're a Bible student, you might understand this story. And I was, um, I went to Bible school about two years after I got saved, and I was like fiery on fire for the Lord. I loved Jesus so much. And I remember every single morning, we had to go to chapel every day, five days a week, and then we had to go to another service Tuesday evening, and that is not including, like, church and everything, so we were worshiping a lot, and I remember I would go to the front of um, the sanctuary, and I would just worship Jesus, and it was such a sweet, uh, sorry, a sweet time in my life where God was just giving me such revelation of who he is, and I remember sitting at a um, at the lunch table, and a third year came up to me, and he was like, man, it's so awesome seeing you guys worship, but wait till third year, that's going to change, and I was like, devil, get behind me, Satan, that is, I rebuke it, right, and so I'm like, that is not going to be me, I'll show you, sir, well, I hate to break it to you, but I did not show him, because third year came, and if I'm honest, I got kind of tired of going to worship every morning. I was like, I'd rather just sleep in. I've worshiped. I've sang that song like 500 times. Like, ugh, I'm done with it. You know what I mean? Like, I've probably gotten all the revelation out of the revelation song that I could ever get revelation out of, right? And so, so remember how at the beginning I was telling you that I loved that intimate worship. So I was in the house of prayer because... I couldn't get tired of that kind of worship. And so I was in the house of prayer, and I was reading through Revelations. And I got to the part in Revelation that um, it speaks about the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And it says that they just keep repeating it, just keep repeating it. And I remember reading that and thinking, God, how, how? I get tired of singing worship when we have a verse and a second verse and a third verse and a chorus and a pre-chorus and a bridge, and that's just one of the ten songs in a worship set, right? Like, how am I so tired of singing worship? How do they keep worshiping you with the same thing over and over again? And I felt like the Lord was showing me the reason that that happens is because their eyes are on him. 
They are beholding the Father. And they're looking at him and they would sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And all they have to do is like blink their eyes. And then holy, 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 they get a new revelation of who he is. And I'm not saying that like they'd ever get tired of worshiping him. But if they were to get tired of worshiping him, all they have to do is like tilt their head a different way. And holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Fresh revelation would come over them, right? And I feel like so many times we think we have exhausted a characteristic about God. Oh, God, I know how good your love is. I don't need to sing how he loves again. That's a song I hear people say that a lot about, and I'm very passionate about that song. You can now out sing that song. No, I'm just kidding. But a lot of people, they, and I've said it. You heard me say it a second ago. Um, we get tired of worshiping these songs singing these songs to Jesus. But the reality is, if you focused on one characteristic, one characteristic of God, say his love, okay? If you focus on that for every second of every minute of every day that you are here on earth, you will never even scratch the surface of how deep that characteristic is because he is limitless. So for, thank you. For us to say, that we are bored in worship is honestly naive and ignorant because we can never, ever exhaust him. The reason that we're bored is because our eyes aren't on him. Because if our eyes are on him, we will get a fresh revelation every moment. If we get tired, we just have to, fresh revelation, there it is. Okay, I can keep worshiping you for another hour, you know? And so it's hard, yes, because we are flesh and, and we do get distracted, right? But the reality is, is that God is so worthy. He is so worthy. He is so worthy of our worship. Like I said, it doesn't matter how your life is going right now. He is worthy of your worship. Because of what Jesus did on that cross, he is worthy of that worship. And so if you are in a hard time right now, I want to encourage you to worship him. Because when you begin to worship the Father, he is able to sit on his throne and he is able to finish your battle for you. And you won't even have to pick up your weapon. I think a lot of times, um, I don't know if any of you are like me, but I am a very strong personality and I am a go-getter, doer. I a lot of times like see myself as like um, Mary in the Bible and how Jesus had told her, like, hey, what Martha is doing, how she is sitting at my feet right now, that's what you need to be doing. Because I'm like, I want to do all these different things. And um, I got that story wrong. Martha was the one who was doing it wrong. Mary was doing it right. Anyway, so um, I promise I know my scripture. I, I promise. I went to Bible college. Um, and so, um, and so, a lot of times I think when I want something or I feel like I haven't received what I've been praying for, sometimes I feel like I have to fast and pray and do X, Y, Z before God will intervene in my situation. But I want to let you know that there is nothing, nothing that you can do that will make you more victorious and more of an overcomer than you are in this moment because of God, right? You don't if you feel like you have to fast to see your healing, I've been there. Guess what? You don't. All you have to do is worship him. 
If you feel like you need to pray for 30 hours a day, even though there aren't 30 hours in a day, um, before you see this victory, you don't. You don't. It is not that hard, guys. Our salvation is not that hard. Our victory is not that hard. Thank God. And so I just want to invite you guys real quick. I'm not going to have the ministry team come up. I just want us to act on what I spoke on. I want us to stand up and I want us to worship the Father. And if you're in a hard season, I want you to begin to halal, to have that celebratory worship, knowing that we have the victory because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that when we get, begin to praise, the Father will come and he will sit on his throne and he will say that it is finished and your battle will be over and the enemy will be completely destroyed in your life, right? Thank you.